the carnival's a little bigger today, huh? Windows are supposed to be bulletproof, right? <laughs> well, they've never been tested. Okay, you just need to finish filling. Security. Yes, it's and it's your responsibility. They're over the walls. We should all split. I'm gonna close up my office. My God. Race number one. Fall back. Look, I need police. I need police right now. Do you understand me? Right now, goddammit! Can anybody I'm telling you, if we're going to go, we need to go now. We need to make a decision. Can we wait? Can we wait? Until the Iranian police come. No, they're police have abandoned their If posts. the police are not coming, okay, then the army's gonna come. The Prime Minister's not gonna let the embassy be taken the over. The Prime Minister may come tomorrow, but the Komote are here today. Right, is there any, so is we there need any to evaluate and waiting for Look at me. No one is coming. For visas to the right. US. Right. You know what? Let's let's let's, let's wait. Five we are in the only building with direct access to the street. If we're going to go, then we need to go now. Yeah. 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 Let's go. So you want to see the world, right, Tom? Apparently it's six. But what happened? Not clear. We know they escaped the embassy. Where are they? The Canadian ambassador's house. Did they stay put? Are we attempting rescue? Hold for the secretary of state. thing you may notice is I've gotten reunited with my audio equipment. <laughs> so much fuller sound, I hope. I hope that works. It's been a long time since I've produced a podcast. I think it was early January, and that was a wide variety of reasons, but I feel ready to share, and I've been through quite a journey like I think all of us have, So and continue to be. Um, I just felt like I had I had some sharing to do, and I hope it's helpful. We've got a small Telegram chat happening, which, uh, and I'm in a large number of Dollar Vigilante chats, so that's kind of where my barometer for the world and awareness is coming from, for people that are awake and aware and wanting to take action in the right direction, in the direction of freedom for the kids, for the most part. In a nutshell... I was sapped energetically, for sure, by that time in January. I really needed to recuperate and rejuvenate. That's definitely part of it. And then once I got past that, um, probably February time frame, 
I was really a bit lost as to what's the perspective I have to share here. I mean, what do, what do I have to add? Everything's in the news. Every, the awareness is out there. Sharing news right now isn't useful. Um, so I struggled with that, really, until now. And I, I, I really feel I have something to share here today. And we'll just build on this. I'd say definitely a few of the, my favorite podcasters were having the very same struggle when I was having it, which is like, okay, we've said it all. The causes and effects are out there for all to see. Um, now, how do we support one another to get our heads, keep our heads straight and focused uh, somewhere constructive for moving forward? That's really the question. James Corbett definitely made that shift explicitly, and he has his own brand around what do I do now, something along those lines. I'll, sh- I'll share the links, but he's, it's around freedom communities and agorism and taking action to bolster yourself in a place of freedom uh, or beside or outside of the matrix. I haven't tuned into his show, but I have been, I have been keeping up to him loosely. Uh, I have maybe three or four other feeds that I'd like to share now that I've found extremely comforting and supporting and insightful all at the same time over the last, well, some of them for a year now, but definitely in the last couple months. It's been really, really helpful. So first, I'd have to say Jeff Berwick. He's been consistent. He, he, I was tuning into him right from the very beginning in March when the full gravity of the situation was dawning on me. And uh, he hasn't let, he hasn't shifted. He's really kept his bearing and probably a little bit less on news and effects now. Uh, he's much more focused on his own awareness and um, meditation. He's still a really, really good sense maker. I guess that's and network as well. So he's been consistent, consistently producing. Um, there was a huge uh, conference that they hosted in Arcapulco maybe two weeks ago that was absolutely outstanding. I actually do still think it's worth the replay. I think it might be $99 for the replay. But in terms of the value of the tribe, um, there was a lot of good information shared. You know, as every day goes by, the news changes and the situation changes, but it was worth it for me. I tried, I probably took in half of it live as it was happening, and then it took another week to finish the replays. And I really felt it was worthwhile. Uh, I think mostly for the tribe. So as you get a great speaker, you can look them up, you can follow their chats, you can join them on Telegram or get on their newsletter or what have you. Or of course, go deeper if, if, it, if it grabs you. There was, it was unbelievably well run. I think four days in Acapulco. And to me, completely resonant with what I'm looking for, <laughs> which is a tribe that cares deeply about the direction we're heading and is extremely action-oriented and extremely freedom-oriented. So I can't say enough about that conference. It is tough to go back to a conference that's two weeks old because the news is changing so much, but I really found the network worthwhile. Michael Jones still every single time, and he's appearing a lot lately with younger and younger guys. Lately, it's been a couple of... uh, Hispanic guys, I think in Southern California, um, but he's had a really nice mix, Serbian, Polish, um, really nice mix of appearances. I'd say he's averaging at least two a week, uh, and he's been unbelievably consistent. So I will, um, I, I want to share today my takeaway from his book, Logos Rising, 
which is a blog post I posted last week, which was kind of my takeaway at the full complete book. I did a book review for the first half, and the second half was really me trying to capture the broad strokes and takeaways. That's what I want to share today, so I'll get to that. Um, but I'm, I just wanted to also mention that for sense making, he's consistently outstanding. The other one's uh, Ryan at Last American Vagabond. Never disappoints. Consistent. I guess some days I just can't take that much information. He's, it's not him, it's just me. But he's able to dig into the stories, keep his feet on the ground. <laughs> and that's what the sense making part that's what's really, really hard to do because you can get dazed and confused if you're listening to some of these quote-unquote official sources without a little bit of uh, commentary in the middle. Uh, he also has expert interviews and things at times, and Whitney Webb still joins him at times. But that's another fantastic uh, regular I try and tune in. I'm probably catching half of his as they come out. Uh, Del Bigtree. I caught his last one. He he's he was a speaker at the Narcopoco, so I kind of feel like I know him a little more personally now, even just because it was just a different appearance. But um, his last one's outstanding. I really like his uh, ethos, which is if you've got credibility and expertise and data, you can come on the show. We don't we're not going to pre-filter because we don't get where you're coming from. <laughs> so he's he's got outstanding mix of stories. One that got really a lot of press recently was the um, Belgian pharmacology or sorry uh, uh, virologist that was an expert in vaccines from inside pharma who uh, was quite a scuttle around that but it was definitely worth airing um, and I think to this day uh, it, it's considered worth airing at the same time there was a rebuttal that came out it was also worth airing <laughs> <laughs> so he's I think he's very mature about the, the the takes that he gets on his show. And so I, I and that's once a week and then he slices it up. So Dell hasn't let me down as as much as I can keep up with him. Corbett I do tune into every couple of weeks. Uh always consistent. Well, I guess the last is the Crypto Vigilante guys. If you're interested in crypto, uh Rafa and his team at Crypto Vigilante are great. They don't do a lot of podcasting and videos, maybe once a week, um, but they do do a lot of uh, reports if you're a subscriber. But I think their videos are free. Anyhow, if you're interested in looking into and understanding crypto, they're great. I think I think in terms of my sense making globally, I think that's mostly it. And I, for the moment, I mean, and I, so I'm I'm recommending them strongly. In terms of the opening clip there, that was from Argo, the uh, film. The hostages in Iran and the and the initial story. I just I just really like the energy of that group. I just think the exchange, the way they interacted and exchanged in the situation was outstanding. And to me it resonates with right now. Realizing that we are the adults in the room and that and that freedom is is worth fighting for, basically. So I love that that scene. Um, you know, there's there's a much broader political perspective on the on the film itself, but I just wanted to share that as really nice, crisp example of Logos in action that's relevant to, to where we are today. In terms of sources, I forgot to mention David and Gareth Ike. I'm not following them actively, but 
they're unbelievably consistent uh, from the very beginning. If they grab you, this is just a really, really good source as well. Um, our Telegram chat, it's very small at the moment. It's focused on supporting one another because once you get the causes and effects relatively sorted and you understand the gravity of the situation, you really just need some moral support and the odd laugh to carry on and keep your head straight uh, doing the right things to move forward. That's really been also valuable, just fairly recent, maybe a couple of months. But I just wanted to share that if you do start to feel awake and aware, like these anarchopocal people, it can be overwhelming if you're not managing the fire hose, kind of what you can take. Maybe this is obvious, but for me, rhythm and routine is critical. Attitude of freedom and sovereignty is critical. And then gratitude for being able to see through it. There's many levels of the sleeping zombies, but... I really feel bad for most of them now. I used to be annoyed when I'd see a, a mask-wearing person in a situation where you can't even fathom, <laughs> like swimming in the ocean, <laughs> for example. But um, I mostly feel compassion and sympathy for these people now. Uh, they're just, all they know is to tune into their TV. They, they don't know how to do their own research or they haven't taken that initiative. And they're just listening to the voices they've always trusted. And they're really getting steered wrongly. So gratitude, even as painful as it is sometimes, there's something to be grateful for to be able to see through it all. Uh, I mean, all is a bit extreme, but to see through a lot of the dynamics that are happening. Okay, I just want to give you the high points of my recent blog post um, and the book reading and how much it meant to me and hopes that, that it, uh, you can either get a gist of Michael Jones or, or get some of his articles or even benefit from the book or even benefit just from the article of my summary, <laughs> however it suits you. But I really feel like, I mean, this man's dedicated so much work. He's an editor. He's an English professor by profession, uh, turned into an editor of a, of a great uh, newsletter, online magazine, I should say, and unbelievable author. I think maybe 40 books. But uh, he's taken his greatest strengths and channeled them into extremely unpopular awakening material for his entire adult professional life. A lot of gratitude there as well, actually. So I'll just try and give you the high points of what I'm most grateful for from this book and this perspective. And I hope you can get a chance to, to look at the blog post um, and maybe even find Dr. Jones if if he, if he grabs you. I guess there was a really well-written post in one of the Dollar Vigilante chats last night, I think it was a Canadian one, uh, saying that, like, what do we do? <laughs> We've got like this ideological subversion, atomization of society. People are all over the shop, every generation, every gender. It's just a complete mix. How are we ever gonna tie this into some kind of a coherent, rallying cry that we can mobilize behind and, and clean this up because all of the systems and leaders that we've trusted for all these years have completely stabbed in the back their their primary mandate including the media so i i tried to answer but i don't think i mean that's a really tough one I, i'm it's difficult for me to say exactly 
But what came to me, maybe that was six weeks ago, as a rallying cry, I think it's you gotta because there is so many different belief systems and there's so many there is ideological subversion out there. How what is the what's the glue that binds the people together that can all march together in the right direction for truth and freedom? And I think it's pro-life, uh, aligned with nature. It's it it's uh, and that is freedom. Anything that goes against someone's sovereign choice to trust their natural immunity or trust the natural fresh air, you know, anything that goes against that is against the alignment with nature, alignment with life. To me, that's that's a really nice foundation. The other one that I think most people agree with, no matter where they are on the spectrum of, of religious or political beliefs, is the golden rule. Do not do unto others as you wouldn't have done unto you. I mean, I think that, that the, between those two, I think you've got the foundation. You can march towards very positive ends. So to me, I mean, I would have, even six months ago, I don't think I would have really gotten the fact that I don't know if it's under 30 years old, under 35 years old, there's a a youth that has been raised and trained not to trust history. Like they literally, the great names and the great intellects and the great contributors from the past, they've been taught to not trust them. So, and they've been taught towards the solipsism belief system that they can be the god of their own experience. You combine those two things, you've got an empty head that that feeds towards narcissism. And I think that's the foundation of the youth that we're struggling with right now. I think that's the that's the underlying problem. Um, so this history of ultimate reality, I mean, in my case, it was a blank slate. I studied general history, high school history, and... Um, you know, some basic religious studies and a little bit of basic philosophy. I was very, very interested in those things. But my teachers and the material was so dry, I never pursued it. So I was able to get the history of ultimate reality straight. There was nothing in my mind that wanted to argue with it. I, uh, some of the Greek philosophy was a little bit of a review, but I really needed to digest it from start to finish. And now I have a foundational uh, history that is helping me see how we got here. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, I'm in a culture right now that's uh, very traditional, very Christian history, but it's very orthodox. Orthodox meaning like national orthodox. So I can kind of see, I, I don't know anything about their religion. I can just see the behaviors. And it seems that, well, I can see how the Luther shift with the trinity has created a temptation and i think this is more european than where i am this is a temptation towards materialism and narcissism it's there and they they head in that direction in an extreme way and i don't think they're aware of it uh so that's why it was such a sneaky trick the sleight of hand that was done by luther and then much later by hegel uh, hegel was in the philosophy of problem, reaction, and solution, and but Luther was the Trinity, and they turned it upside down by removing the idea of right and wrong. So Aristotle had 
the rider, which was Logos. So you're guiding your life by reason. The reins is ethos. You're, you've got a guardrail of your morality. And passion is pathos, the horse. And that's this, the order to guide your life. It's, it reminds me of the metaphor of the uh, chariot rider. If you're, if you're steering, you're heading in a positive direction. If you let go and you get underneath one of the, you get down below the axle, you're going around in circles. To me, that's what Luther and Hegel did. They were leading their followers into uh, the axle rather than the chariot rider. And that's, the, that's part of the mess, the confusion, unbelievable confusion. And lost sense of purpose, lost sense of um, God has a plan for your life. And you have a chance to contribute to history if you're steering your chariot in the right direction. That's just completely lost, even respect for history. You got these younger people that are just looking at a way to materially gain themselves. They're not trying to figure out how they can apprentice to contribute the most or what their calling is, their vocation, or, you know, God's plan for their life. They're just looking for what's the most materialistic shortcut? How can I have the cutest girlfriend and then the fanciest car? I mean, that's a bit extreme, but that's one of the aspects underlying all this that has led us to this lost state where people get into this uh, choice between materialism and life. They literally want to go to Florida if they're willing to look the other way and get vaccinated or get their their adult children vaccinated, which is like say goodbye to being a grandparent, if that's the case. You're saying you're, you're embracing materialism in the short term and going against life without owning the situation, taking responsibility for what's in there and what's the likely impact of that. And I, I think, I mean, to me... I know they really seem like bad guys, these people that are making all this happen, but there's a lot of good awakening that's happening at the same time. It's heinous what's happening, but at the same time, if you were in charge of waking people up and you only had 12 months to do it, I think, you know, it would look a lot like this. I think so. So that you can see a lot of benefits to the way that things are playing out here. So to me, the, the difference or it's kind of the teachings that have been lost um, building on the Aristotle, I think that Aristotle model is, is spot on. But it will plus conscience. You've got a conscience. You know what's right for you and your kids. And you, and you drive your will in that direction. Uh, the other thing that has definitely been lost, and I think this is a faith thing as well, but you know what's worth dying for? When you get it, you head towards this materialistic value system, you, you can easily convince yourself nothing's worth dying for. You can rationalize anything, and that's feeding into this system as well. So the other side of that is faith plus reason. If, you, if you're trusting will plus conscience and faith plus reason, you're heading in the right direction. If you build that on top of the Aristotle model, you're heading in a very good direction. So the Christ teaching really came along and just blew the whole thing apart. I mean, you had this incredibly historical, genealogical, cultural history of Judaism that starting to meet up with the thinking of Greek philosophy under the stability of the Roman Empire. And the teachings came along to just 
blow the whole thing apart in terms of people's pretenses of what's important, who's supposed to be in charge, what money is, what the state is, where the roles are, uh, where the lines are drawn. And then you get to the, the teaching of the Trinity, which is so personal and so much faith and revelation mixed in there. It's very difficult to talk about. <laughs> I guess the one piece that the world has a lot of trouble with, and this is where the relativism comes in, is that there actually is right and wrong. You can actually sin, and you can actually atone for your sins or ask for forgiveness of your sins. That part is really through the thinking of solipsism, as I mentioned earlier, or, or pantheism. Pantheism is a s sense that it's all God's will. There is no free will of man. Everything you do is God's will. So that really lets you off the hook <laughs> for your behavior. Uh, and then you get into the, the the structure of it. It's really difficult. I can kind of, I feel like I can see it in action sometimes. I can see the difference between somebody who has a solid teaching of Trinity and somebody who's either let it go or, or never taught properly? I think so. I mean, that's a bit pretentious. But the being, the God of Moses, is the I am that I am. I like the analogy of the, the statue, the statue of Moses or Michelangelo. So the being is just, that's your body. That's being. That's like the foundation that your life is on. And, and that's why your body is so sacred. And then on top of that is the love of creation. So if you imagine Michelangelo with a, a slab of marble, and he's got this abstract idea of what Moses looks like, and he's got this raw material from nature, and he's got the, this love of creation. He's just got an incredible inspiration to express his creation of his abstraction into reality. And that's what his... It's a labor, but it's an art form. And at, at the end, you've got the creation in action. You've got the statue. And to me, that's that's the the story of the Trinities right there. You've got the being, you've got the love of creation, and then you've got creation in action. And then when you see creation in action over time, that's divine providence. You'll see, if you study history, which, like I admitted, I've never studied much history after high school until now, but you can see the gentle, invisible hand of divine providence over time. Never have we ever... There's been tyranny. There's been all kinds of games played. Imagine just comparing yourself from now to 9-11. I mean, I was, a, I was resisting the idea that 9-11 was an inside job for like four years. And I was... Um, I had time to really focus, and I had a lot of reason to doubt the Iraq war. I mean, I was really focused on the news and what was happening there. The Iraq war after that, the Iraq invasion, I should say. Um, well, think of how fast it was this time with you and your friends and family and how quickly we could see through it and how quickly we could communicate and talk about uh, implications and actions, corrective actions. I think that that's a good example of divine providence acting over time. And to me, like in the last couple of days, the awakening is really, really happening. It gets really scary and dark and depressing, especially in Europe at times. But there's a large voice of awakening people that understand truth and knows know what they're standing in when they've got their truth. And they are willing to risk everything. They, they're willing to put their life in the line. They're, they're living 
from principle. They're not trying to get the, the latest uh, deal from the marketplace. They're willing to put it all on the line for the future of their kids and their grandkids. To me, that's very encouraging, and it feels to me like it's about to break right now. So I just wanted to share this incredible work of Dr. Jones. I could probably spend the next five years reading his most recent three books before this one, <laughs> which I may. I know that I need it. I know I need this foundation. I, you know that. Anyhow, I hope that you have the same inspiration and mobilization and sense-making benefit as I have. And I just wanted to really check in and share that and share these sources and let you know I'm still here and uh, and I'll continue to um, to share as I think the next one's going to be a lot more good news, a lot more things breaking. I mean, there's certain countries, Belgium, France, Netherlands, showing great promise. Police standing in solidarity with the protesters, finally. <laughs> I shouldn't say finally for those countries, but finally in the news anyway. So I've got a lot to be positive about, but it's getting the people that care to put that first. And I, I mean, I just see it as matrix out of matrix. The matrix mentality is like career first, get those euros, sacrifice. It's the future. It's the retirement home or whatever. We're slaving for someone else versus out of matrix is like get your home garden, get yourself off grid, get yourself the right sources. It's unbelievably night and day. It just seems so obvious to me. These most jobs are leading you towards a dead end or they're going to lead you towards actually being part of the matrix, actually perpetrating some of these uh, oppressive tactics. I mean, that seems as plain as day these days. So I wish you luck. I hope to check in within the next two weeks. I hope you enjoy the materials. I hope you enjoy the blog post. My favorite, there's been a lot, uh, a lot of Michael Jones' recent appearances that I found extremely worthwhile. But this one I've, I've tacked at the end here is Dana Pavlik. She's a Canadian. I think she really accidentally got herself red-pilled working with a Catholic newsletter, believe it or not, and stumbling on the modifying rules and ideology around abortion, which was the same topic that got Michael Jones fired from his Catholic college from the very beginning as well. I think that's just coincidental. But she, uh, the talk that Michael and Dana, they have two, but the second one is the one I've tacked on here. Uh, one of my favorite clips from it. Uh, it's an outstanding perspective how truth as the opinion of the powerful is really getting written into code, uh, legal and policy code these days. And I think that's an awareness that Dana is, her opening statement was outstanding as well in this podcast. I'll make sure all the links are here, but I wanted to share that as well. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a red flag programming topic, um, heavy, I guess you'd say. Canada especially is brainwashed against getting into this topic. But uh, I think Dana innocently got in there and has articulated extremely well. So they have a great chat as well. All right, enjoy. I uh, look forward to touching base again with more good news within two weeks. Take care. Ciao, ciao.
McDougall, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. Anti-Semitism is defined as a certain perception. Well, wait, wait a minute, fellas. I can't argue with anyone's perception. I have no idea what you're perceiving. You could, you could be drunk. You could be drunk, and you could see uh, pink elephants dancing in front of you. You could be on drugs. You could be schizophrenic. You could be any number of things, and I simply don't know what you're perceiving, be and no one can. So you cannot make a subjective perception the heart of the law. It, it, it simply is not compatible with the rule of law. You have to deal with some type of objective state here when you're talking about the law, and that is precisely what they're refusing to do. They're refusing to make any type of objective definition because they know if it's completely subjective, they can do whatever they want. And you will have the situation that I described at the beginning of our discussion where in England, if you're Jez Turner and you say that the Jews have their own police department and you back it up with one fact after another, it doesn't matter because the real issue is whether some Jew likes or dislikes what you said. That is going to be the, that is going to be translated into the rule of law. It will mean the complete overturning of whatever is left of the American Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, which is based on objective uh, standards. Uh, freedom of speech uh, had some type of objective boundaries to it, okay, uh, which defined what it was. So uh, years ago, uh, obscenity was never considered part of uh, free, the right to free speech. Well, guess who changed that? The Jews changed that. And I'm talking specifically about Jews like Alan Dershowitz. And you can see him on YouTube with uh, William Buckley in a debate defending Deep Throat. Everyone admit, knew it was a pornographic movie. Uh, and he's defending it as free speech. The fact that he did this eroded the boundaries. When you erode the boundaries, what's between the boundaries has no identity anymore. And then it gets colonized by the people who have the microphone. And the Jews have the microphone. They do control the media. And they are in, because they control the media, they are the ones who are in the best position to impose categories on the rest of us. Okay? So the fundamental battle at this point in the culture wars is how do we protect ourselves from the imposition of these categories, these arbitrary, the subjective categories? I think the church has our back on this, and it really doesn't matter if certain of the church's representatives in the hierarchy want to have our backs. They will prove they have our backs in their inability to gainsay what I'm saying. Um, it, we, we protect ourselves by making sure that uh, we, um, as you know, Thomas Aquinas says, distinguishing what we mean by our terms. So we have, to do, we have to say, what is a Jew? Well, we've got our definition. We've got our definition. He's a receiver of the first covenant. Well, that ain't the stuff of IHRA anti-Semitism. That ain't the stuff of pornography that um, uh, pretends to be uh, um, freedom of speech. Um, so that raises the question, either these people we, we can only go one of two ways from there. If Alan Dershowitz 
the major Jewish organizations and the IHRA and what they're peddling, um, if they represent authentic Judaism, then the church can have no truck with Judaism. If, on the other hand, Judaism really re is represented by the first covenant, then these people like Alan Dershowitz and the major Jewish organizations and the IHRA members, and who knows who they are, if they call themselves Jews, can't use that term. They either have to qualify it by saying we are relativist Jews, in which case the church still can't have any truck with them, um, or they have to say we're relativists. We don't have any relationship to uh, the Jews. Um, well, the problem here is that the done. problem here is that the uh, the Jew the Jews. Uh, first of all, who elected these groups, uh, leaders of the Jews? Who made them their leader? I, I've been in this situation yeah. in terms of uh, Catholicism. I was in uh, New York City when Pope Benedict showed up, uh, and I'm standing there on the street, and the person next to me has EWTN on, and there's Richard John Newhouse, just bloviating. He, he could bloviate for hours on end, and he was doing that at that point. And suddenly the question popped into my mind, who made this guy our leader? Who made this guy a leader of the Catholic Church? And then I realized, well, I know that answer. It was Midge Dechter and Norman Podaritz. They were the ones that uh, t uh, hijacked the grant that was supposed to go to Chronicles. They gave it to Richard John Newhouse and created this guy, who then created First Things as this organ of Jewish-friendly Catholicism or Jewish-friendly conservatism, whatever, however you want to define it. And that's what it's been uh, to this day. Uh, what happened there I, happens across the board. Let's be honest here. It happened at LifeSite News. You described how it happened uh, the, the last time. We have a situation where uh, uh, you now have the right to be pro-life at the sufferance of the Jews. If they don't like you, if they don't like the way you, you're being pro-life, uh, they will go after you as they went after uh, the, the the group in Canada, uh, when Father DeVolk had the uh, temerity to criticize Israel's behavior, they went after them. Okay, so the question is, well, why are why are we losing all the time here? Well, because uh, we have to promote our enemies. Now, the the thing that got this ball rolling uh, was uh, that article that you mentioned uh, on LifeSite News, which says that um, in order to uh, be uh, pro-life, we have to fight anti-Semitism. Well, this is ridiculous. For, and, and so I, not only is it ridiculous, I, I took this to its logical conclusion, and I said, the this main source of political Jewish political power is the claim of anti-Semitism that can, they can level and destroy people. Okay? They use that political power to promote abortion. So if you're promoting the fight against anti-Semitism, you are promoting abortion. So you've got a right to life organization promoting abortion. The, the, that sounds crazy now, until you uh, add in the alchemy of Jewish influence.
push yourself to 